0: Welcome to Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast. The show where we seek to uncover what leadership means in today's world. I'm Joe Hart, CEO of Dale Carnegie, and we'll be talking to diverse leaders with stories to tell across various industries to help unlock your potential for success. We'll be sharing real-life insights into leadership, which in turn can help spark the next level of your growth as a leader. In today's episode, we have a special guest who has experience working with some of the world's leading firms and brands, most notably our very own Dale Carnegie. Joining us from India is Pallavi Jha, who is the chairperson and managing director of Dale Carnegie Training India. Pallavi has built the India business into one of the most admired businesses for Dale Carnegie worldwide over the past 16 years. She is sought after as a keynote speaker and panel member in various forums on business, HR, consulting, as well as business restructuring. Pallavi is positively impacting lives and helping people build better relationships throughout India. So Pallavi, what a treat it is to be with you today. Uh, it's it's uh, Thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this.
0: So Pallavi, you have been such an extraordinary leader in so many ways, and you've been in the business world uh, in India for many years. Before we talk about what you're doing right now, tell us a little bit about about how you got here, about your journey, and some of the things you were doing before you came to Dale Carnegie.
1: That's really a very exciting, a very eventful journey. I think uh, lots of successes, lots of failures, both of them, but but no regrets, luckily. You know, it's it's been fascinating. I, I started my career with Procter and Gamble, a global multinational. Did that for a couple of years and joined the family business largely in the construction (coughs) space but moved literally from what we call as the b2c business right consumer goods procter and gamble was to literally b2g you know business to government because we just dealt with suddenly large infrastructure projects and things like that so it was a lot of new learning and then moved on to uh, start an entrepreneurial journey, did a slew of things before I actually became a Dale Carnegie franchisee, and I'm delighted to be here.
0: Thank you, Pallavi. Talk a little bit about, I mean, you were in the construction business and you held a number of different roles there. Tell us a little bit about that. And I mean, and it's not just a construction business, as I understand, it's one of the biggest construction businesses in all of India. Talk a little bit about the history of that company, and then the role you played, and, and what was it that led you to leave and start your own company?
1: Well, you know, this uh, its construction company, HCC, has really been part of the family business. My grandfather started this a long time ago. As you rightly said, it's been one of India's largest companies, largely in the infrastructure space, building power plants and bridges and dams and highways and things like that. I had the pleasure, actually, of uh, working on India's first uh, metro rail project in Calcutta, so that was quite fascinating because I came with no engineering background. In India, extremely male-dominated space. When I walked in, there was really not even a, a ladies' bathroom in the office. Wow. So oh it, was that, it was that, uh, you know, not friendly towards the gender. So that was the time where I think I had the steepest learning curve. For one is it was engineering, which was not my space. Uh, second, I was suddenly acutely aware of my gender. And, uh, and the people around me were not used to dealing with a woman at all so it was it mm-hmm. was quite uh, an education how to work in a multi or not a it was almost a singular gender environment and then of course I because it was uh, I had a very promoter owned uh, top management view of the business uh, very quickly in life and I had to grow into that role. So many things, but I think if I look back, I learned uh, lots of things. Obviously, you learn a great deal of project management and the detailing, but more than anything else, I gained financial acumen there. I mean, really understanding how to value projects, how to value companies, mergers, acquisitions, and then I got got involved with the restructuring of the group. Uh, So that gave me a completely different perspective in the financial world. And then I moved on from there to financial services. So it was was quite fascinating a journey.
0: So it sounds like you learned a tremendous amount in that role, and that really led to your next role. But before you talk about that, what were some of the things that you learned about yourself? You talked about going into this business where it must have been very challenging. You really were a pioneer in many ways, um, both as a female in a male-dominated area as as in an engineering role in, in company. Talk a little bit about what you learned about yourself and how you dealt with some of those challenges.
1: Yeah, I think I was, you know, looking back so green behind the years when I started my life over there. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit like a babe in the woods innocence uh, with which I was approaching life and, and work for that matter. Uh, till I discovered and I was never aware of my gender till I discovered that gender is an issue and people when they would talk to me. Uh, they would not make eye contact. They would look at the table and talk, you know, or right. they would just look at the man in the room. So you could ask a question, but they would answer the man. So it was a, it was a big, big adjustment for me. And, and then there was this whole sense of rejection, right? Because people aren't calling you in. You're not part of the group. And so somewhere I built, I would say, patience. In the beginning, it used to bother me a lot. What's going on? I mean, am I nobody? And then I discovered it's really their discomfort more than mine. Uh, And it's less about me and it's less about them being comfortable dealing with me. So I think over a period of time, I learned to build bridges and build my equations. And that's really been my biggest learning there. The other piece was really, I think, just the whole challenge of the business. It's massive. You know, you work with government. The stakes are high. The monies are big. And you got to really be very, very responsible with what you do. Integrity becomes a very critical part of such projects. And uh, I had a very close uh, view of how things were working. And I discovered in myself the courage to stand by my convictions and to hold ground. So I would say that has been some of the things I discovered about myself while I was there.
0: And and that's hugely valuable. And I think so many of our listeners struggle with the same thing, If people lack confidence. I mean... Do you have any tips about how how would you encourage someone who might be in a similar situation to find that courage and to move forward with greater confidence?
1: I think uh, two things really that that really work is when you don't know something, I think especially when you're younger, you're very intimidated by people around you. But, you know, I think simply being yourself at any given point in time, and that's the lesson that's good for you, whether you're starting out as a youngster, or you're really on top of the organization as the CEO, but just being yourself, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that makes it just so much more comfortable. And so you, I think your confidence comes from not trying to be somebody who you are not. And when you do that, it's okay to say, I don't know something. Can I learn more about it? And that's really the best way to learn things by asking questions and exhibiting your ignorance in a sense. It's okay to do that. That's what I learned. And people don't mind. People don't judge you as harshly as you think people might judge you. So that's the first step, I would say, in building self-confidence. And the other is just keep trying. Don't give up.
0: <clears throat> that's terrific, Pallavi. It's, it's funny. When you talked about that first thing, about being yourself, I mean, how many times do people, they're afraid, they think they have to have all the answers, or they, it's it's wrong to ask questions. But it's liberating, isn't it? We do that and we, we say, we don't have to have all the answers. It sounds like you you learned that. It was one of the key learnings you had.
1: Absolutely. And and the, and as I progressed in my career, I discovered that that's a constant state. Uh, it's, you never, never know everything. It's always good to be vulnerable. It's always good to be grounded and be real about the facts that you don't want to know everything and it's okay to ask. And it's okay to get that help. So wherever you are, with, with whatever porch in life you're in, that's really, that really holds good. Terrific.
0: So Pallavi, so so you acquired knowledge about yourself, a lot of knowledge in the financial arena. What did you do next?
1: So there was a time where I felt this really wasn't my thing, you know? I really wanted to do something more liberating and I, I set off on an entrepreneurial journey at that point in time. It was the dot .com age, so I set up a finance portal, And soon before we could take off, there was a big crash in the dot-com space. There was lots of difficulties in the business. So we moved on into financial training and started a financial training business. And that actually led us to more and more people. See, this was coinciding with the time where uh, lots of changes were happening in the Indian industry. We had opened up the economy and things were you know, companies were becoming more global and global companies were coming in. So it was a perfect storm, you know, actually to try and do something new. Because till then, India was very, the Indian industry was dominated by large organizations. Suddenly, there were these animal spirits and entrepreneurship and startups and that environment starting. So I I, I was caught by that bug. It was very exciting. And from one thing led to another. And we like I said, we moved into financial training, but people were saying, we just need to be more globally competitive. And when we did more analysis of that, we realized it's more to do with behaviors. It's more to do with soft skills. It's about communication, self-confidence. It's about being able to build, you know, relationships and influence. And that's where what led us to actually finally decide that we want to get into the behavioral space. And when we did our homework, we said, there's no other partner that we want to partner with than Dale Carnegie. Awesome. That's how my journey with Dale Carnegie began, really.
0: And I definitely want to spend some time talking to you about that. I'm curious. Um, you left a very secure, successful role to be an entrepreneur. What did it take in yourself to do that?
1: Uh, I, have, I I don't even know what. Uh, what were the circumstances that made me want to do it? I think there was just a general environment of excitement. And I found the engineering business very stodgy for me. So I think I just wanted to ride the wave. And that's how I started. And I really didn't know what to do. So I did multiple things. I did I did a financial portal, I did actually a cricket portal with my husband, managing, you know, celebrities and sports management as a result of that. But none of that really, uh, you know, like every serial entrepreneur, you either uh, sell your businesses or uh, you shut them down and then finally find one sweet spot that you really want to invest your life in. And uh, that's really what happened. So I did a series of things as an entrepreneur simply because I think there was there was an overall environment that was taking us on to do that. And I was looking for a change from something that I was already doing.
0: Well, it's great that you were willing to do that, too, because sometimes it is courageous to leave one very secure thing and try something different. And I certainly remember that dot-com era and the dot-com bust. Uh, But you, you, you did have success with your companies, as I recall. Did you not build one and sell one?
1: Yes. So I think cricketnext.com, which was our uh, very successful dot uh, com, uh, it became very popular. It became number two in the world, actually. And we finally sold it to CNBC TV 18, which is really what uh, what was our successful sell-off. So that was, that was a happy story. The financial training, the financial portal was a very tough one. But we happily transitioned from there into Dale Carnegie.
0: Well, it's interesting, too, just to hear about your journey. You know, it's it's not a perfect line from success to success. I mean, there are, there are setbacks,
1: right? Oh, lots of setbacks, lots of setbacks. So I wouldn't say it was easy. I wouldn't say, you know, in the finance portal, of course, when we started it, we had, we had everything going for it. We had all the funding and the investments and everything. But two things happened. One is there was the dot-com bust that was, you know, happened just a few months within the launch. But we also had a huge stock market scam in the country. Uh, So both the financial industry as well as the dot-com industry actually just uh, went belly up in a sense for nothing was happening. So that was something that we had to get out of. That was the first setback I had. Cricket Next was pretty much similar because Cricket Next was, again, uh, you know, very early in its life, had a big, huge match fixing scandal. And then that slowed down all the match fixtures and uh, everything. And if you don't have any matches, you don't have any business. So that, that was a huge slowdown when we started. So it was really, uh, they say, baptism by fire as an entrepreneur. It wasn't at all easy. In the Dale Carnegie business when we started off and uh, we had very early success. And I think on the heady success of Dale Carnegie, we were hugely investing in an area, in a new area for the youth and employability. And there again, just before the 2008 crash. And there again, so we made some very large investments with dreams in our eyes, stars in our eyes, and the environment suddenly changed and uh, the story changed altogether. And, And life has been about, as an entrepreneur, crawling back from those edges and building it back again. And I'm looking back and I really loved every minute of all of that. And, and I dare say that many more will come, and we will keep fighting them.
0: It's, it's interesting. We're in a time right now where um, there's a lot of uncertainty. The coronavirus has shut down many businesses, and it's having an impact, and people aren't sure where it's going. And, and yet, when I hear you talk about a really difficult time in 2008, 2009, you got through that. What, what were some of the lessons from that that we might take even to getting through some of the challenges today?
1: I think uh, again uh, you know one of the biggest advices I got in my uh, days as uh, as an early entrepreneur was was don't fall in love with your idea because what we have what happens is when we decide to fall in love with something we don't want to give it up too easily and we we give it a- we try to stretch and give it an afterlife beyond its real life And so I think the only thing that I learned from these times was, and it'll be good in this time too, is that how quickly can you pivot and change to a new solution, to a new way of doing things? So you continuously got to be thinking solutions. You got to continuously saying, if this doesn't work out, what do I need to be working with? So it's about creative thinking. It's about critical thinking. It's about innovation, but it's about testing yourself all the time. But more than anything else, the speed with which you will respond. So it, today's buzzword really is agility. And we know that. And you, we know that Carnegie has done a lot of good research on that. So agility and within that, the change that comes about, you gotta you got to have that resilience. And I think as an entrepreneur, that comes naturally to me today. So in today's time with coronavirus, I would just say that The kinds of things that I know we globally as an organization, how we're responding and in India, the quick turnaround on we've got advisory today from uh, from a couple of states that everything is going to shut down and everybody's got to work from home. Uh, We are prepared. We're prepared. We are saying we know what to do. So we're just going to blot through this difficult time, but uh, we are not going to be, you know, hit as if it's hit us from a bolt or something like that.
0: Well, and that's got to be what we do, right? We just have to be able to plow through some of these situations. I want to ask you one other question about this, and then we could talk about your Dale Carnegie experience. Um, we talk about EQ and IQ, right? And, and what I'm hearing you talk about is really the value of, of EQ and how you face challenges and how you were able to pivot, right? I mean, because sometimes we can be paralyzed by fear. That keeps us from pivoting. Any tips for people in terms of or suggestions about how to keep that positive mindset so that we can seize those opportunities when they come.
1: Yeah, I think I think some of the things is I, I am by nature a diehard optimist. and uh, I always believe that uh, tough times pass and things will things will open up again. So that's me, and that's that's been my inner conviction all the time. but every time I see something difficult, you know, hitting me, I know that this is something that I will deal with and something better will come out of it. So I think it's about having a positive attitude. I mean, that's a disposition we have to create in ourselves. Mm -hmm. There is the belief that you have to carry. So it comes from your self-confidence, really. I mean, you don't really feel insecure when things change. You say, there is change. I have to just hold my ground and say, how can I deal with that change? So I think I've developed a very practical approach to things that happen around me rather than an emotional approach and that is what helps me deal with it so it's very interesting when you handle a difficult situation at a practical level it actually gives you the emotional resilience to deal with it so it's really a practical solution but it gives you an emotional output and and so so when you're looking at IQ and EQ I think I think that's where it comes from, is um, you may come up with a solution, but you can go all over the place because you can't deal with it. If you have the right attitude and if you have the ability to stay the course, not get scattered, which is what really resilience is all about, then you have the perfect combination to make things happen for you.
0: Well, and that's really what you've just described. Also, is what Dale Carnegie used to talk about all the time, right? I and mean, we can look at, you have two people in the exact same situation one looks at it in a, in a positive way, one's a negative way. What's the difference? It's attitude. And that ad- attitude makes all the difference in terms of the results that we get. So tell us a little bit about your your journey uh, as you took over the Dale Carnegie operation in India.
1: It's been wonderful. for for This will be 17 years in India with Dale Carnegie. And we've been having great success and great acceptance from everybody that we work with. There's something, I mean, we talk about positive. So what what is it that really attracts everybody to Dale Carnegie, whether they're clients or they're the people who want to work with us, our trainers and our team members, is the fact that we make a difference. So the bottom of everything that we do, frankly, Joe, Dale Carnegie is all about making other people successful. It's about, you know, making people take command of their lives, their work, whatever it is, and and make a happier society in a sense. And that's that's a kind of purpose that people get attracted to, uh, what I call is it's a happy business. I mentioned to you for a while that I was you know financial services. Uh, we go from deal making to deal making, and we forget sometimes that we we might lose friends in the process, you know. And this is just the opposite. You just multiply your influence every single day because you're helping people get to where they want to get and and you will be surprised that you have a friend in every corner wherever you go. So that's the nature of this business. So that's been the driving force of what we've been doing in, in India. And when we look back at the journey, it's been it's been so rewarding because we've been able to work with students to plant workers to CEOs, political workers, co- political leaders, cops, professors, academicians. We've worked with so many different kinds of people, and they all say Dale Carnegie made a difference to them. Now, that is an unbeatable feeling. Isn't
0: that incredible? And I mean, what a great thing to do and to make as a career. Talk a little bit about some of the things you've seen. You talk about the, the impact. What is some of the impact that you've seen people have through your business?
1: So there's lots of levels of impact, really. I mean, you see people who individually will come and talk about their personal success stories to you, their personal transformation stories to you. We've had people who've come into our class who say, you know, I used to be stammering, but at the end of this course, I have the confidence to speak more smoothly. So this is just a personal overcoming of somebody's challenge. But some of them have come back and said how they've repaired their relationships and made them stronger. This could be personal relationships. This could be relationships at work. Most of our work has happened with corporates, really. And for companies, what it meant really is that when their people come and they're able to be more self-confident, they're able to build greater bonds and relationships. They just become better salespeople. They become better leaders. Uh, they see business results Uh, We've seen all kinds of stories being told. There was was a couple of years ago, an auto company that we worked with, and it was was mainly operating in the low-cost market, right? There were low-cost cars. About three years ago, they decided to launch a slightly premium car, and they said, you know what, our dealers are unable to work with slightly more sophisticated buyers. So we were actually roped in to work with their entire dealer network for the launch of this premium car. And it was fascinating to see how they transformed and and matured into being able to talk to more fancy buyers, if you can say so. And that was one of the most successful launches that the auto company ever had. So these are the kind of some of the results and some of the stories that we get to hear day after day. Talk a little bit
0: about your team. You manage a, uh, a team of over a hundred people, and uh, trainers, salespeople, marketing people, administrative people. You've got HR. Uh, you know challenges and opportunities within the business. Talk a little bit about how you oversee your business and any strategies that might be helpful for a smaller medium business.
1: Well, the first thing is, you know, I learned uh, as an entrepreneur, and the business grew right organically uh, from zero to where it is today. What I learned is we tend to have great ideas and strategies, and we own those ideas and strategies. And we're smart as we are as entrepreneurs, and smart as we are as business leaders. Uh, what we need to do is be able to carry our people along with us. So that's one of the early lessons I learned as well. And so I now believe in uh, possibly the shepherd principle: lead from behind. You know, it's about really uh, making people come up with their ideas, come up with their solutions, and then just give them some guidance or even get them to work out the solutions or the opportunities. And so that's that's been my style. So sometimes I would only say to leaders is that there is a feeling that we have to create the vision. Of course, we have to create the vision, but the vision can be co-created. And that in Dale Carnegie, as you know, we believe adults Uh, help support the world they create so the more you involve your team in helping create a vision helping create the strategy helping making the plans and execution I think you have a completely different multiplier effect in your team And, and I see that every day in my company especially right now I'm coming from a meeting where we are doing some business continuity planning because of coronavirus and I know everybody in the world is doing that uh, but, you know, the response uh, of my team members and the, the, the willingness to take on the hardships is unbelievable. It's very inspiring for me as a leader.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it truly is a sign of a strong team when the team comes together and rises to a difficult occasion, right? Puts everything aside, just says, we're going to get through this, we're going to work together. You know, that comes through leadership and the kind of culture that you create. Talk a little bit about what it takes in your mind to be a strong leader in 2020 and beyond.
1: I think everything is all said and done about the charismatic leadership, right? You got to have a vision, you got to inspire people, you have great communication skills and all of that. But I think at the core of it all, and I'll come back to the core of it all, you know, there has to be a great deal of Uh, self-awareness but two things authenticity and and vulnerability because why is this important authenticity is important because that's how you build trust without trust you don't get anywhere you need to build trust with your employees you need to build trust with your customers with your partners so I think authenticity being who you are and delivering the goods as you promise is a whole part of the story on leadership the other piece is vulnerability because there's never and today in today's world even more so you never never know what's going to come next and to be able to be humble enough to say i do, i, I got to learn or i got to start from the scratch i got to rebuild i got to reinvent myself uh that's the only thing that's going to take leaders today far
0: that's true right i mean if we want to be better we have to acknowledge that we're not we're not perfect and there are opportunities for all of us to grow. So in what ways can we grow? And and that starts with that kind of acknowledgement of vulnerability. So thank you for sharing that. Pallavi, as you look back on your career, what was a hard lesson that you had to learn? Something that that was a tough lesson to learn, you learned it. What would you say?
1: I think I used to be a very cut and dried business types. Uh, in a sense, I would say What's the deal? Let's talk about it. What's in it for us? Do some hard negotiations, walk away. But I realized I was not making friends. And I think that was the hardest lesson is to know that uh, you were not really building on your relationships. You were, you were meeting a lot of people, but you were not able to make friends. So I think that was the hard lesson that I had is that relationships are, are core to what we do as human beings and who we are. So without that, we don't function. Without that, we are not going to grow. Without that, we are not going to be good leaders. We are not going to be able to build teams or have customers. So that was one of the hardest lessons I learned during my years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's true. I mean, many people think you know, well, I don't need to build relationships. I can just tell people or be directive. And there's so- certainly some leaders who are successful at that. But by and large, if we can bring the best out in others and build a good relationship and achieve great results, why wouldn't we, right? Absolutely. So, Pallavi, you've been a pioneer. You talked about the difficult part in your early career as, as a woman in business. I think about, I've got, as you know, four daughters. I've got two sons, but I think about my daughters. And I want and I'm trying to help them to be strong, confident young women and who really can go out and make a difference and be courageous. How can we help more women become powerful leaders in the business world?
1: If you really see there are so many powerful business leaders that are women, uh, you have Indra Nui, you have Cheryl Sandberg, you have Meg Whitman, and there is a list. But there's still not that many. But the fact that these women have done it means that there is a way for every woman to do it. And I think about it, and you used the word powerful. Powerful means power, right? So empowerment, by the way. My view is empowerment is not given. Empowerment is taken. It's all about not waiting for the environment to be fair to you. It's not about waiting for equality in gender pay. It is not about being able to have equal opportunities. It's about really you leveling the playing field for yourself. And then if that means that you got to take, uh, you know, two stools and build them yourselves and then step on those two stools to be at the same level, then make those two stools yourself. So I'm a big believer that powerful leaders, whether they're men or women, help themselves. So I would tell every young woman today is don't wait for things to happen for you. Make them happen for you yourself.
0: Awesome. Great advice. Certainly advice that uh, I'm going to share with my daughters and let them know that it came from you. So thank you for that. Pallavi, you look ahead, what excites you the most about the future?
1: You know, there are lots of good things happening around. I mean, uh, we, we can keep saying there are difficult times and there are difficult times as climate change, as coronavirus. So you never know what's coming next. But there is the reality that the world is getting better connected the world, is, there is technology that's helping, there is, there is healthcare, there's, you know, life is, expectancy is increasing and I'm getting macro, but honestly, there are lots of good things happening in the world as well. And for me, I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, a place where I think a world where people can really respect each other, understand each other really living what I call it by the Dale Carnegie principles. I think that really makes a big difference to society at large. I, I'm looking forward to be able to uh, make that difference to the world as we go along.
0: Well, you are making that difference. And certainly the Dale Carnegie principles are a key part of who you are. You demonstrate respect and listening and caring and seeing things from the other person's point of view. It's uh, certainly been a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, look forward to uh, continuing to work with you.
1: Thank you, Joe. And it's been a great, great privilege to work with you as well.
0: I hope you enjoyed this edition of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast. Leading in today's workplace is increasingly challenging. Dale Carnegie offers online instructor-led training on virtual meetings, virtual team leadership, and more. You can enhance your skills today by visiting dalecarnegie.com and browsing our live online training sessions. This episode was recorded by Justin D. Wright and Himanshu Sachdeva edited and mixed by Justin D. Wright of Seaplane Armada. Please consider rating this episode and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.